Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans. I'm Clint. Thank you for joining me this evening, this morning, today, whenever you're listening to this. But whenever you are listening to this, you're giving me that which is the most valuable to you, which is your time. And for that, I am very grateful. I This podcast has been a source of deep satisfaction for me. I have not only enjoyed learning the things that I'm passing on to you all, but I've enjoyed also the relationships that that has developed, the conversations that I've I've found enriching and beneficial. Uh, just and, and it makes me it does give me a deep sense of satisfaction to know that a lot of you are getting something out of this. I've had some very positive feedback recently. It's very encouraging, especially as it takes up so much time, uh, take so much research, so much organizing my thoughts. There's the subscription subscriptions and all this stuff. There's that you've got to go through, and then to have somebody say, "Hey, I really appreciate what you're doing. Hey, I love that last episode. Hey, this or that." It's really, really encouraging, and it's it really helps me keep going. So, thank you for those of you who have said kind words lately. And I have a few shout outs of my own. First, I'm going to give a shout out to my sponsor, USA Kilts. Guys, they've got awesome products. Of course, they've got kilts. They've got a lot of stuff. Go check them out if you have any desire to wear something that expresses your pride in your connection to Scotland. Go to usakilts.com. Check out their YouTube channel. It's got a ton of uh, great content on there about not only the kilt, how to wear the kilt, what to wear with the kilt, what not to wear and how to wear it, but also some Scottish history and culture things on there too. So go check out their YouTube channel, USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions. They, Rocky and his crew there, they they produce some fine quality products, great customer service, free shipping in the U.S., usakilts.com and USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions on YouTube. Now, as far as a more on a more personal note, uh, some of the shout-outs that I would like to make at the beginning of this episode before we start talking about a really interesting subject, which I can't wait to get to, but I want to do right by some of you, and I haven't been good at doing this during this podcast, and I want to get better, so this is me starting to get better. I want to give a shout-out to Benjamin Polizzotti. He reached out via email, as did Adam McCullough. I've shouted out Adam McCullough before because he actually hooked me up with some sources, uh, Benjamin, as far as the Hendersons go, I'm, I'm, I think it's a very interesting subject. I did an episode similar, I think, on the Morrisons, because like the Morrisons, the Hendersons, it's a, it's a name that you find in different parts of Scotland, unconnected to each other, and but, but in some contexts, every bit the clan. And so the big key is where do you fit in? Which Hendersons do you descend from? But absolutely, I'd love to look into that. And because, ladies and gentlemen, Benjamin reached out to me and said, hey, can, I, can you possibly do something on this? Made a specific effort to do it. Um, I'll, I'll put it on my list. And Adam McCullough, and he even, like I said, produced or contributed source material for that. We've got an ongoing conversation about that. And so, um, so yeah, so he, that was really good that he hooked me up with some sources. Sam May, who gave me some really good references to look into, including a podcast I hadn't known about before, but I am really interested in. Um, I've actually got to go over there. I tried out a few episodes so far and found it very, very interesting. So thank you, Sam. 
He's also uh, referred me to a couple of books and a website that I've had the chance to actually get into and read off of, and I found it very informative. So thank you, Sam. I also want to give a shout out to my some of my uh, some of my patrons. Those those people who had decided to uh, contribute to the cause. Like I said, this takes time. I do have a wife, four kids, a career, and another job after that. (laughs) There's a lot going on. Um, I'm engaged in some religious and civic things, and and just just a lot going going on here. And these, this little bit that people contribute, the patron uh, patrons from Patreon specifically, are Love It Fraser, who's been very active on our Facebook group, Scottish Clans, has con- very much contributed to the discussions on there. I've also got David Kemp and Janet Gladden. I just want to let you all know that I'm thankful for your contributions, and they do make a difference. So thank you so much for contributing, everybody. If you do want to contribute. To the cause, you can go to scottish-clans.com forward slash team, and you can become part of the official team. And I will tell you this, um, so you can you can go to the, follow the link from that web address and go to Patreon and become a regular subscriber. And there's different tiers of that. Or there's a QR code on there and you can scan that. That goes to Venmo and you can just contribute once. And it doesn't really matter. Everything helps, whether it's the price of a of an energy drink or the price of a book or whatever it is, it, it, it really, and my, the microphone that I'm speaking into right now came from funds donated from a listener. So um, it does make a big, huge difference. And I would just like to get those people a shout out. And I was going to say that if you are contributing money to this cause, your requests go to the front of the line. I will tell you that much. If there's any problem with that, I'll communicate that with you. Some people might want an episode done on a clan that wasn't really a clan, <laughs> which they're they're out there. Uh, you see their tents sometimes at the Highland Games and Scottish festivals, but um, but definitely that carries a lot of weight if you're willing to contribute there financially. If you're not uh, and you just love podcasts because they're free. So do I. <laughs> so no no worries there. I'm just glad to have you on. One thing that you can do that doesn't cost anything is to go and sub- you can click the subscribe or follow or whatever the platform offers and leave me a leave me a review. Those help too. Feedback's always nice. If you want to communicate with me personally, you can go to thescottishclans at gmail.com and send me an email like some of the people I've just mentioned have. All right. I just wanted to take Thank you for bearing with me. I know that you're like, okay, get to the stuff already. But I, I think they deserved it. They deserved to have the by name a shout out on the podcast. And I hope that I get better at doing that in the future. All right. Now, as we get to the, the title for this episode is which clans fought, no correction, which clans participated in a Highland charge. Now I will, let's start right off by telling you where I'm pulling my information from. Did I go to YouTube or not YouTube? um, Wikipedia? Yes, I did use Wikipedia, but, and I believe it was through Wikipedia from one of the, if you go down and look at the references that they cite, which are a lot of the Wikipedia articles are well cited. I've mentioned this before, but there is a book and I have taken it farther than just seeing, oh, there's a, that's where that data or that little fact came from. I actually went farther, found it on Amazon and I bought this book. I've mentioned it in the past couple episodes, Clan, King and Covenant, History of the Highland Clans from the Civil War to the Glencoe Massacre. So, as by John L. Roberts as well. I may have a link 
to where you can get that in the show notes if you want to check those out. So I'm, I'm working my way through that. It's a very informative book, and it does include a lot of things that Wikipedia does not include. And and to be fair, Wikipedia, as some of the other sources that those articles are drawing from on the various battles and everything, they've got some information, but definitely the book, they've got some, the Wikipedia articles have some information the book doesn't have, but the book is definitely a richer source, and I am enjoying it enjoying working through it right now. And so a lot of the information I'm going to share with you comes out of that. In fact, most of it does. Most of the information we're about to cover goes through that. And here's how we're going to cover it. I'm just going to go through kind of a chronology of, and all I'm covering today, so this will be a a multi-part series here. All I'm covering today is the first civil war. There were multiple, and you have the first one, it goes from, uh, I'm starting in March 1644. There, the Marquis of Montrose is just starting to gather together a force that he's going to oppose. He's, he's going to side. He originally started off, and I, I went over this a little bit in the last couple episodes. In fact, if you want to go back and listen to those first, it's cool. If not, that's fine. It's about 50-50 how you want to do it. But I do have some information that might be useful to you in those previous couple of episodes. The first of those two was the Battle of Inverlochy, which includes the Highland Charge. And then the episode after that, the most recent one before this, talks about the Highland Charge itself. What made the Highland Charge the Highland Charge instead of just a ferocious charge of infantry? Um, and why was it so effective? We, we dove into that a little bit in the last episode. So if you'd like to go back and check that out please feel free to. You can even pause this and go back. But if you just hang with me, you can. I think there's a lot of value and you can catch those up later. Now, so we want to know which clans conducted or, or participated in a Highland Charge. And I'm just going to move through this time-wise. I'm, going to sh- I'm just going to go through, as I've done the reading, and tell you who is joining up with the Marquis of Montrose. Like I mentioned in a previous episode, the Highland Charge was probably the invention of Alistair McCullough MacDonald. He is the one that turns the Highland Charge from just a regular infantry charge and makes it uniquely a Highland Charge. The criteria for a Highland Charge, once again, is in the previous episode. So he's the one that does that, and he's fighting with Montrose. There are Highlanders fighting on the Covenanter side against Montrose, and they don't participate in a Highland charge that I can find anywhere in the reading. And it doesn't make them less Highland. It doesn't make them less anything. It just means they didn't do it. And But it is a really famous military tactic. And maybe some of you'd be interested to know, hey, did my ancestors ever do that? So the layout of this is I'm going to go through chronologically and tell you who is joining up with Montrose. I am going to maybe make some mention here and there to people who are also joining up with the Marquis of Argyle. He's not the only Covenanter military leader that opposes Montrose, but he, and by the, by the way, when I say Mar, the Marquis of Montrose, it's, his name is James Graham. And he's, he was, it, it's an earldom, it's changed to a Mar, uh, uh, Marquisate. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but he's now, instead of an earl, he's the Marquis of Montrose. 
And so it's him versus the Marquis of Argyle in a lot of these battles. Now there's some other commanders, and I'm not really even going to go into a lot of detail in the battles and in the story of the Civil War. That's a lot more than what we're going to do. We're just going to go from March of 1644 to the Battle of Philippa. Philippa? I'm not really sure. But we're going to go through that timeline. And, I, and I'm, as I go through, I'm just going to tell you who's joining up. And I want you to listen for whoever it is in Scottish history that you um, that you're connected to, or may, maybe the a particular clan or a group that got you interested because like, Oh, that's my ancestors. Listen for that, for that. I will say that it's not only Highlanders that participate in the Highland charge. I also will say that there were other elements of the Marcus of Montrose's army that made the Highland charge possible. They did not act in isolation and just run the show with their Highland Charge and just steamroll everybody. There's other moving parts that were really, really important too. And there's certain clans that were key to those other moving parts. And so listen for those as well. Okay, so let's just start moving through. Once again, just look for your connection here. So in March 1644, the Earl of Crawford, Alexander Lindsay, he's the 15th Earl of Crawford. He joins up with the Royalists under Montrose. Also, the Earl of Nithsdale, Robert Maxwell, joins up as well. A really interesting thing about Robert Maxwell is his father was killed at the Battle of Dry Sands fighting the Johnstons. His older brother, John, was executed for the revenge killing of Sir James Johnston. Uh, so this is interesting to me because as we get farther into the 1600s, I think we start to leave behind the kin-based society in the lowlands of Scotland. Now, you know that I'm an advocate in the argument of did did clans exist in the lowlands or was it just a highland thing? I actually believe and I'm firmly convinced, and the more I read, the more convinced I am of this, that there are lowland kindreds and kin groups who, for all intents and purposes, look just like a Highland clan except for the Gallic speech. And, and I, would, I would say Gallic culture, but actually there are quite a bit of parts of the lowlands that were Gallic speaking at one time. Fife is a good example, where all the place names, not all of them maybe, but a lot of the place names are in Gallic. Gallic was spoken up into the 1500s in a lot of these lowland areas. And when the language receded, it didn't pull all of the cultural elements with it. All right. And so, and, and so we see, but, but I will say this in, in uh, admission to the other side of the argument, that we do see the kin-based society, I believe, start to water down in the lowlands earlier than in the highlands. And as you get farther into the 1600s, I believe that's when that is. And the reason I think this this little thing with the Earl of Nithsdale, Robert Maxwell, is that he is one generation removed from the Border Reavers in full swing. Full swing. In fact, this feud that I mentioned, the ba- and, and which culminated in the Battle of Dry Sands between the Maxwells and the Johnstons, which is two clans going at it. They probably didn't call themselves clans, but that's exactly what they were. And it was a devastating, very bloody battle. A lot of people died on both sides, but it did favor the Johnsons. The Johnsons come out ahead. And so you had this revenge killing of 
John Maxwell in revenge of of uh, Sir James Johnston killing his father. All right, so you have this Robert Maxwell. Anyway, I just thought that was a really historic, interesting historical context because it really wasn't that far in the rearview mirror that border reavers were border reavers. You have one generation removed here. All right, so he's, anyway, Robert Maxwell is joining up with the Royalists. So is, so is Lord Ogilvy and Lord Aboyne, who is a Gordon. Okay, now those two names, Ogilvy and Gordon, especially Lord Aboyne, they are really important for the cavalry element that they they bring. And I'm going to mention it again later. Okay, in June 1644, you have, this is where the Earl of Antrim, Randall MacDonald, wants to contribute to the royalist cause. And he puts, he sends, so his kinsman, I, I don't know how close it was. I didn't memorize the family tree, but you have, this is where Alistair McCullough MacDonald joins joins in. He's already active. He's already fighting in Northern Ireland with some of the stuff that's going on there. By the way, for those of you who don't know the McDonald's, early early in the 1400s, marry into a family known as the Bissets, who were a Norman family, and they, um, they acquire territory in Northern Ireland. And so you have McDonald's that straddled the Irish Sea. And and are active and are going back and forth and they've got interests and in some of them are moving from Scotland and settling in their territory in Northern Ireland, but a lot of the leadership are back and forth. And I actually did a whole, if you go way back, I don't remember what article or what episode it was, but it was, I entitled it Irish McDonald's. We talked a little bit about those connections, went into more detail, but so the Earl of Antrim, Randall McDonald. Northern Ireland is what we're talking about here. His kinsman, Alastair McCullough MacDonald, is who he puts in charge of the forces that he wants to contribute to this. All right, so you have the McDonald's of Antrim that go back to this, what I'm talking about here. With them go uh, other clans like uh, from that are notable in Northern Ireland, like the McHenrys, the McQuillans, the O'Kayans, and the O'Haras. And, and, and with them joining the the Royalist army are some English, some Lowlanders, and other Highlanders, some of whom were McDonald's who had fled Campbell takeover of their lands in Scotland. So many of these had experiences from the Ulster Rebellion, and some had fought in the Spanish Netherlands, and all of them are Catholics. So you're getting a group here who's joining the Royalist cause who are not these, these Irish clansmen, and throughout um, Roberts' book that I mentioned earlier, he just refers to him as the Irish. He, he's particular because he's focusing on Highland clans. He doesn't really care about distinguishing the Irish clans. He just calls them the Irish. But just so you know, they're McHenry's, McQuillan's, O'Kayans, and O'Hara's. And if you ever are just off on a side note wondering why you see the O more in Ireland than you do in Scotland. I actually, well, a long time ago, did a, an episode on that one and how they developed differently, even though they're it's all like a Gaelic or Gaelic cultural context. But you're getting, they're not just a bunch of wild barbarians who run screaming with in a battle without any kind of discipline at all. These are people who have fighting experience, some of them on the continent, for sure in Northern Ireland, and they, they, they really exhibit that discipline but there are times when they just flip the ferocious switch and just go full-blown nutso. 
um, to the detriment of covenanter forces and to the extreme loss of life as well. Unfortunately, I, I don't want to ever talk about battle like I myself am bloodthirsty, but it happened. So in July 1644, Lachlan McLean of Duart, James McDonnell of Slate, George McKenzie, and Yoan Moore McLeod reject Alistair McCullough's invitation to join them. McLean does so out of fear of Campbell reprisals. Alistair McCullough is unable to rally the Kepic McDonald's or others from Lochaber. These McDonald's had partaken in a failed uprising a few years earlier and therefore were reluctant to dig a deeper hole for themselves. All right. So I, there's a couple of clans there that are holding back. In August of 1644, Alistair McCullough marches into Badenoch with the fiery cross going before him. Now, once again, for those of you who are new to the subject and haven't learned a lot about this culture, the fiery cross, which wasn't actually lit on fire, it, it had been lit on fire, it was charred, they would send that through a clan's territory, and when you saw that, and, and especially if the man was shouting your war cry, right, so it's, because there were people amongst them who may not Feudally, they live on this guy's land, but they don't consider them part of this clan. But if he's shouting out y'all's war cry and carrying the fiery cross, that's a call to arms. So you get your weapons and you go to the designated gathering place for these sort of things, and and then it's game on. All right. So that's what Alistair is doing as he's marching into Badenoch. Who who lives in Badenoch? Well, you got you and Og McPherson, and he responds by bringing up 300 men, possibly to spite the Macintoshes, who are do, do not commit so readily. And there's some beef between the McPhersons and the Macintoshes over who should be the captain of Clan Catton, this grouping of clans. Also, it is here that the Kepic McDonald's actually commit. So you, you remember I just barely said earlier that they held back. Now they actually commit. So you got the McDonald's of Kepic and the McPhersons joining in. Now, by this point, the Covenanters had already raised men from the clans Fraser, Grant, Ross, and Monroe. Now, when you hear Fraser, um, you, don't, you know, there's Lowland Frasers, there's Highland Frasers. These are Highland Frasers, also known as the Frasers of Lovett, or that's how their chief was styled anyway. And that's how we can distinguish them from their, their Lowland Frasers, who are actually, if you go back far enough up the family tree, they do connect but they do not, from the time that the Frasers establish themselves in the Highlands, they, they kind of drift apart and go independent. So they do not act in concert with their lowland kindred. Um, also, in August of 1644, the Stuarts of Athol and the Robertsons of Struan join. Lord Kilpont, who is a Graham, and I, and I don't know how close, maybe one of you can respond who know all about the Grahams, how closely related to James Graham, the Marquis of Montrose he is. He joins up also John Drummond, the son of the Earl of Perth and the master of Matterty. So this group, the Lord Lord Kilpont, John Drummond, and the master of Matterty, this, they were amongst a group of 500 Covenanter advanced guardsmen who were sent out from Perth, and they were mostly archers. So I'm always interested in what these different groups, like what they, what kind of units they were. So this group coming out, they're, they're archers. There's about 500 of them. 
It didn't say exclusively archers, it just said primarily or mostly archers. And they come out to confront Montrose. They end up defecting to the royalists. Now, James Stewart of Ardvorlich, so the Stuarts of Ardvorlich, that, that's an Athol, so that's a highland branch of the Stuarts, kind of like Appen, but farther east. James Stewart of Ardvorlich was amongst this group that defected to the royalists, but later he plotted to betray Montrose. A conflict over this may have been what prompted James to murder Lord Kilpont, whose, quote, own men insisted on returning home to bury the body of their chief, unquote. So there's a, there's, it, it, gets, it gets messy in there. Let's keep moving, though. September 1644. On the 1st of September, you have the Battle of Tippermere. And this is, this does involve a Highland charge. So all the people that I've mentioned so far that have joined the Royalists would have taken uh, part in that Highland charge at the Battle of Tippermere, where it just shattered the Covenanter forces. I mean, very, very potent uh, military tactic and caused great, um, great scatter and destruction on the Covenanter army. Montrose marched on the Covenanter garrisoned Aberdeen. The garrison was mostly Forbes, Frasers, and Crichtons from the surrounding districts. Now, um, I would I would have thought originally because you're talking about people who are from this area, right? It says uh, Robert says specifically from surrounding districts. I did look deeper into this. It does look like these are still Highland Frasers or Frasers of Lovett. On the 13th of September, the Battle of Aberdeen. Looks like a Highland charge may have been used, but the fighting, the fighting lasted for two hours. So it wasn't where they just came smashed in and just scattered everybody like at the Battle of Tippermuir or Inverlochy that I went into more detail a couple episodes ago. Yeah, they, they stood, the Covenanter forces stood their ground and fought for a while. So if, if it was used, it, it didn't say Highland Charge, but just the way it was described, it may have been, but it didn't have, a, one way or the other, it didn't have the intended effect. The Royalist forces did eventually gain the upper hand, which turned into a slaughter as Covenanter forces broke ranks and ran. But it, it wasn't charge, scatter everybody, and then cut them down as they run. They did end up doing that, but it was a two-hour fight. All right, moving on, 16, uh, October 1644. You have, in this month, you have the Battle of Fivey, which ends up being more of a skirmish, I would say, than, than an actual battle. And there's no Highland charge. There's some cavalry, there's a cavalry charge, from the Covenanter side, it's repelled by the, the by the Irish. That's about all that happens. The following clans join, the, so you have a bunch of clans now throwing their weight on the royalist side, and most of these that I'm about to list do so out of a hatred for Archibald Campbell, the first Marquess of Argyle, who was the feudal superior for most of the lands of these clans I'm about to tell you. Which clans were they? <clears throat> you have the you have John MacDonald, captain of Clan Ranald, with his men from Uist, Egg, Moidart, and Arisag. You have John Moore MacLeod, or probably you would have gone, both of these men would have gone, these two Johns would have gone by Yoin or some kind of version of that. Uh, but this is Yoin Moore MacLeod of Dunvegan. Refuses to join, so he doesn't join yet. Donald Gorham, 
McDonald of uh, Scotus raises the Glengarry McDonalds of Noidort and Glengarry on behalf of his chief, which I believe is his dad. It was it was a little unclear, but um, anyway, so he raises, and then his nephew Angus will be the one who comes at the at the lead of this group. So the McLeods of Dunvegan don't join, but the McDonalds of Glengarry, taking men from Glengarry and Noidart, do join. Donald Glass McDonald, who later becomes the chief of the McDonalds of Keppoch, he joins at this point. You have Angus McAllen Dew, who is uh, the leader of a cadet branch of the McDonalds of Glencoe, who become famous later on for, or, for very unfortunate reasons. The Stuarts of Appen really throw in their weight at this point, and some Camerons of Lochiel do. The following clans actually hold back right now, and they remain neutral. So they remain uncommitted. You have the Maclean's of Duart, the McDonald's of Slate, and these are uh, Slate. The McDonald's of Slate are on the Isle of Skye. So are the and the McLeods of Dunvegan. I just mentioned them. They're also on the island of Isle of Skye. And then the Mackenzies. So those clans are all holding back for right now. December through January of 1644, you have the the <clears throat> the royalist forces are marching through um, the area of Glen Dochart or Loch Dochart, and this is McNab territory. But the Campbells have recently acquired a Campbell at the ex- or a castle at the expense of the McNabs. So the McNabs are very ready to join the Royalist forces if it means they get to stick it to Archibald Campbell. So they join up. Um, it's Ian McNab who joins on behalf of his father, who is the chief of the McNabs. At this point, you get 150 more Stuarts of Appen who join in. Um, we might note here that there are already Stuarts of Athol fighting in the Royalist Army. I mentioned before the Stuarts of, you have um, the Stuart of Ardvorlich. That's that's in the Athol region, okay? And in, and in addition, you have Lachlan McLean of Duart. So the previous month he was holding back, now he jumps in. So you had the McLeans of Duart and their cadet branches that join in at this time. In February 1644, you have the Battle of Inverlochy. So Two episodes ago, the whole episode was mostly about the Battle of Inverlochy. If you want to jump into that in detail, do so. The Highland Charge was used to devastating effect against Covenanter forces. Campbell of Auchenbreck, he was the leader of the Covenanter force, which included Laments of Cowell and McDougal's of Dunolly. Now, some of you are thinking, why were the Laments fighting on the side of the Campbells? Sometimes you do what you got to do. You go along to get along, right? I, I, I... I didn't read that it said that, but everything I've read about the Laments, um, there were sometimes they were just surrounded by such a powerful clan. And if you look on a map, which are easy to find, of the of the Campbell territory, the Laments just are surrounded by Campbells. It's not just the Earl or the Marquis of Argyle. It's all these cadet branches of the Campbells, which become powerful in their own right, and they just surround Lament territory. That's a theory of mine. The McDougals, I can't give you a good answer on them, why they chose um, to join up with the Covenanter forces under Argyle. It might go back to what I said before, that the Marquess of Argyle was the feudal superior for most of these West Highland lands at this point. I might also add that 
all through going back several generations before this, back into the 1500s and moving forward from here, you have a lot of competition between the Earls of Argyle and the Earls of Huntley, the Gordons, to be the feudal superior of these areas. They kind of overlap where they're trying to gain control and they compete with each other. And and I can see any of these clans really, really going either way based on which side they saw going which way, regardless of what their own convictions were of who was right and who was wrong. So just keep that in mind. After Inverlochy, the Battle of Inverlochy, Montrose was joined by Alan Du Cameron of Lochiel, who had previously supported Argyle for reasons I just mentioned. Um, Donald MacLean of Brolis, acting on behalf of his brother Lachlan, brought hundreds of MacLeans, McNeils, and Macquarie's in at this point. Okay, so if you're connected to any of those, any battles going for- further, f- going further from here that involve the Highland Charge, you can add that, as you can with uh, 300 grants of Frookie. Jump in at this point. I spelled it wrong in my notes. And 200 cavalry troopers came under George, Lord Gordon, and his younger brother, Lewis. Several hundred more Gordons joined along the march eastward toward Aberdeen. Okay, now let me just say right here, remember when I said that the these Highlanders and Irishmen who are using this Highland charge to devastating effect, I said that they weren't doing that in isolation on the battlefield. I will give a little mention here of the Gordons. The Gordon contribution with cavalry cannot be overstated here. It would be hard to overstate it. It was a big, huge deal. And and in all of the accounts of these battles that I'm reading that we come across here, man, the Gordons are just in the thick of it with the cavalry. I really don't think that the Highland Charge would have been as effective, and nor do I think that the James Graham, the Marquis of Montrose, nor Alistair McCullough MacDonald would have, they were brilliant tacticians, but I do not think they would have been as successful without Gordon Cavalry on their flanks. I just don't think they would have it. It was, it was such a big deal. So if you have any connection to the Gordons, just know that, nope, well, there might, there might've still been Gordons involved in the Highland Charge because there were Gordons who fought on foot, but the Gordon Cavalry was, was a big deal. That's where they made their, uh, the Gordons specifically made their biggest contribution to Montrose's efforts here. April 1645. Uh, now, Mackenzie officially throws in his lot with the Covenanters. Okay, Mackenzie's were a hugely powerful northern Highland clan. He brought with him his ever faithful McRae's. I did a whole episode on the connection between the McRae's and the Mackenzie's. No, the McRae's gained the nickname Mackenzie's Shirt of Mail. They were um, probably. Related, if you go back far enough, they've probably come out of the same ancestor, um, one way or the other, super faithful to the Mackenzies, um, always there in a fight when the Mackenzies were getting into something. Um, also, the McLennans were there, as well as some Macaulays of Lewis. Now, keep in mind that the Mackenzies, not very long before this, right around the turn of the century, they gained control of Lewis from the McLeods of Lewis, who had held that for centuries. And the Mackenzies succeed where the Fife adventurers fail. And that's a that's another story, and I'm not going to take the bait to go on a huge tangent down that 
But um, Ernest McConaughey, he he's a scholar and he's done a lot of work on that. And I heard him in an in an episode with Bruce Fumi of Scotland History Tours as a channel on on YouTube and for his his uh, patreons pay, for his patrons and they he had an interview with with uh, Dr. McConaughey and he mentioned that the Mackenzies succeeded in Lewis where the five adventurers failed because they were gales and they just didn't go in there just giving everybody the middle finger basically and talking about how much better lowlanders are than the Hebrideans, the Mackenzies could come in as Gales, culturally, linguistically similar, and that's one reason, he, a major reason he said it worked. So the Mackenzies have Lewis. So you have the Macaulays from Lewis. Now, they're not to be confused with the Macaulays of Arden Cable, who I have no idea where they stood on this battle or on this whole conflict. Also, that might be a good chance to bring up that this is not meant to be comprehensive. This is what I'm finding as I'm reading, okay? If you have uh, a clan that you're wondering about that I haven't mentioned or won't mention between now and the end of the episode, please reach out to me. I gave you my, ad- my email address at the beginning, thescottishclans at gmail.com. And I'd love to know if there's clans that we left off the list who are absolutely in there with Montrose. Um, I-, I know for a fact I'm going to leave some out, so I'll just expect some some feedback on that. Another um, p- person mentioned out of April 1645 is uh, John Gordon, the 13th Earl of Sutherland, led men of Sutherland and Caithness. Now, this would be on the covenant side. They were covenanters. To these were added Fraser troops under James Fraser, Lord Lovett's brother. His allies accompanied him, including the Rosses, Monroes, and some Macintoshes. You had from the province of Murray, you had Innes, Dunbar, Cumming, and Roses of Kilrock. Those, those clans are also now joining the fight. In, my, in May of 1645, you know what? Before I give you May of 1645, let me give you something else of value here. Look, some of you are holding out on buying a kilt, and you just need to commit, and you need to do it. If you go to usakilts.com, they do have kilts that are not quite as expensive. I have one. It's called a casual kilt, and it's the one that I wear when I go hiking, and I love it. So save up a little bit and do what you've always wanted to do. Go to usakilts.com and get yourself a, uh, a whatever kind of kilt that you want to get, but just go ahead and do it. If you're a lady and I'm like, nah, nah, the kilt's not my thing, or maybe it is, I don't know, but you can get a kilt, but you can get a bunch of other stuff there too. USAKilts.com is a storefront. Fine quality products, fine quality people, as well as awesome customer service. I have called there when they didn't know, and I talked to people, and they didn't know that it was somebody that the, it was just an employee there, and they didn't know that I they sponsor me, and they were just nice, and it was it was nice. There's no ulterior motive. It was just a good experience. It was it's always been a good experience with USA Kilts. Go check out their YouTube channel because once you get that kilt, you're going to be asking, well, do, would you wear it with this? Or what if you have these shoes or with this kind of a shirt because it's going to be hot and I don't want to wear one. Do you wear a t-shirt with a kilt? Is that cool? What about it's cold and I want to wear a sweater. It's not super cold, so I'm still going to wear a kilt, but I don't know like what kind of a, what, can you, what, do you, what do you wear on your feet and how do you match it all together and what don't you do and where is it supposed to come down to and all these questions, USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions on YouTube will square you away. So try them out. All right, 
1645, the Battle of Aldern. No Highland charge, but an incredible battle. Crazy story. The Highlanders under Alastair McCullough, the Irish, and the Gordon Cavalry distinguished themselves. Guys, it was it was a, quite the battle. Go read about that one. July 1645, the Battle of Alford, which looks to have included a Highland charge. Alastair McCullough was not present. It was the only battle in which Montrose fought and won in the absence of Alastair. The Gordon Cavalry, play, Cavalry played a key role. After this battle, Montrose was reunited with Alastair, who brought much-needed reinforcements. He had been on a little recruiting trip through the West Highlands, and he shows up with more people from Clan Ronald, more, Clan, er, more McLeans of Duart, and more McDonald's of Glengarry. The men of Athol, who had left the army to take their plunder home, see the personal affairs, and then return to the ranks. So we have Robertsons of Struan, Stuarts of Appen, who that's not really Athol, but it was in the same group that he mentioned, the McNabs and the McGregors. Okay, so, and, and that's the first time you see McGregors in this. And also, I think I met, met, uh, mentioned Robertsons of Struan's at the, at the very beginning. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Robertsons of Struan, as far as I understand, if any of you Roberts out there need to correct me, feel free to do that, but the Robertsons of Struan is how you called the leading kindred of Clan Donaghy in English, that'd be Duncan. Okay, so there's a bigger clan that had a name, and you had a a more specific group within the clan were the Robertsons of Struan, and they would have led the greater clan Donaghy on efforts like this. Just a little side note that you might be interested in. August of 1645, you have Lord Aboyne, who, remember, he's a Gordon. He arrives with 800 infantry and three to 400 cavalry. To, and, and, and then in addition to that, you have a, about 100 cavalry troopers from the Ogilvies, all right, and and Ogilvies, they, I have not talked about them very much on this podcast. They are invar- involved in some interesting things. Probably, I'm going to end up doing a, a pot, an episode one day on the Battle of Arbroath, which involves some non-Highland clans from the northeast of Scotland, amongst them the the Ogilvies. So the Ogilvies join their cavalry forces to this, and you have the Battle of Kilsyth, which does involve a Highland charge, and this in in this the, the Highland Charge works just like it should. It smashes Covenanter forces. The cavalry guys are doing their thing. The Highlanders and Irish are doing their thing, and a lot of Covenanters died. And with this battle, I mean, they took a gigantic chunk out of the Covenanters. This opened up. Montrose can now finally turn south and start moving south to join up. He doesn't have to worry about being attacked from behind, and the pathway's clear if he wants to go down and link up with the royalist cause in England, because down there, you got uh, these all the stuff that we're talking about in Scotland is an extension of what's going on in England. And so King Charles is trying to stay on the throne. People don't want him. There's a big conflict down there. Montrose is trying to lead the good fight for the royalists up in Scotland. Now he feels like he can break away and make it down south. What happens? Well, <laughs> Highlanders, the way they fight, and now keep in mind leading into this, and I, a long time ago I talked about Galaglass soldiers versus Redshanks. Redshanks soldiers were mercenaries from Scotland that fought in Ireland, yes, but they were seasonal. Now, some Galaglass may have been seasonal, but, but this is kind of defined. Redshanks were seasonal. They get their stuff planted, 
or get their cattle moved to wherever they need to in the spring, and then they go fight for a while. But then they need to come home and harvest. So that's just the rhythms of life that a military commander has to plan around. And that's exactly what happens here is a bunch of Montrose's forces just leave and go home to include Alistair. Now, the sources and Roberts is convinced that Alistair had planned to return. He wasn't just deserting. And and for that matter, nor were a lot of these other people that, that left for go home. A lot of the Gordon cavalry, they have to go back to the Northeast because it looks like some of their lands are being invaded by Covenanters up in the, or might be by Covenanters up in the Northeast where they are from. And so they go back that way. And you have what's left is Montrose has just a fraction of his army that he had before. And now you have the Covenanter forces have gathered under. This is another chapter where um, Leslie comes back from fighting in other places on you know far and wide. He's a he's a renowned military leader, and he and I, I'll give you more detail on him in the future because he's going to play a bigger part. But you have a, a pretty big and well organized Covenanter army coming at you now, and he's got like half of his forces. Montrose does, and the Battle of Philippa just goes horrible. It's just a, it's an absolute disaster, and it smashes his effort. After a year long of just one victory after another, one smashing success after another, he just gets it handed to him at the Battle of Philippa. So in that kind of so let's do a wrap up of the clans that we've listed so far because I was kind of spread out. We went through that timeline. I was kind of just trusting that you would be listening for the clan or the group that you were most closely associated with or most interested in, but it'd be nice if we just consolidate it all here right at the end. And so that's what I'm going to do. We're going to start off with the royalist forces. Here's everybody in the course of this first phase of the Scottish Civil War that I found that was siding with the royalists under the Marquis of Montrose, ultimately, and his two most senior commanders were Alastair McCullough MacDonald and Manus O'Kayan uh, from Northern Ireland. So the first person, as I read through Roberts's book on this that I mentioned at the beginning, that it mentions joining up with Montrose as he's coming from the south traveling north, is Alexander Lindsay, the first or the 15th Earl of Crawford. And then, and mentioned in addition with him, is Robert Maxwell, the Earl of Nithsdale. Now, these are both lowland uh, nobles. Now, here's my question. I don't know at what, what was the state of the Kinbay Society of the lowlands in the 16th century, because even though I've maintained a firm stance that I'm absolutely convinced that clans existed in the lowlands, even if they didn't use the word clan, by all the criteria that you'd use to decide a clan, clans existed in the lowlands. However, what I don't know, and what I'm, I am convinced that they started to erode in that kin-based society in the lowlands started to dissipate, probably very gradually, but sooner than it did in the highlands. And so we've got these two lowlanders here that are the first people that are mentioned in this book joining up. But here's something to keep in mind. I don't know if Alexander Lindsay, the 15th Earl of Crawford, was bringing any kind of a clan with him into this fight for the Royalists under Montrose. But here's, here's the, an interesting detail with Robert Maxwell, the Earl of Nithsdale. Robert Maxwell was the brother to John Maxwell, who was executed for revenge killing, the revenge killing of Sir James Johnston, who had killed these Maxwell brothers' father at the Battle of Dry Sands in one of the bloodiest 
clan battles in Scottish history, the Battle of Dry Sands. And all you Johnstons out there, or Maxwells, or any of those clans or different kindreds that were took a side in that, you're familiar with this. This is border history, okay? Maxwells and Johnstons, they are both border kindreds, border clans. They probably didn't use the word clans, but they were a kin-based group with a person at the head of it and acting in concert based on the understanding of real or perceived kinship. So, and that's just one generation before this Earl of Nithsdale, Robert Maxwell, that that happened. So, at least on the borders, I do not think that the kin-based society or clans were just completely forgotten about culturally. But let's keep on moving, okay? So there's there's those two. We've got Lord Ogilvy and Lord Aboyne. Now, the Ogilvy's and the, and Lord Aboyne, who's a, who's a Gordon, they're joining up with cavalry. The, both of these clans, that's their main contribution. So when we're talking about did these take, clans partake in the Highland Charge, um, there were they probably there were probably dismounts from both clans, and we know for sure that there were amongst the Gordons. So where were they put? Were they put under the command of Alistair McCullough Macdonald and participated right there along with them? It's possible. Just keep that in mind. Let's keep going down the list. The Macdonalds of Antrim and other Northern Irish clans like the McHenrys, the McQuillans, the O'Kayans, and the O'Haras. Other Highland clans, as we keep on going. Ewan Og McPherson joins Montrose with 300 of his clansmen, possibly out of spite to Macintosh, who the McPhersons and the Macintoshes had had this dis, uh, dispute over who should be the captain of Clan Hatton, a grouping of clans who acted as a group under the leadership of Macintosh, and the McPhersons for generations disputed that claim that they should be the leaders. Keeping on going down the list, we have the Stuarts of Athol. Now, I'm saying the Stuarts of Athol, they did at one, they partook in, remember I was talking about earlier, that they switched sides. They came out as a kind of a, a vanguard element, mostly of archers, to meet the oncoming royalist forces, but then actually just swapped. But it turned out to be kind of a, a I don't know what, what the right term is here, but they, they, they switched sides. They were under the Stuart of Ardvorlich. And he may have been plotting the whole time to betray Montrose. Anyway, so the Stuarts of Athol, yes, but but never really with the Royalists. And we see them just just in the not-too-distant future taking a decisive stand with the Covenanters. The Robertsons of Struan is in the next one on the list. Lord Kilpont, who is a Graham. It would be really interesting to look at the Grahams as a lowland kindred and where they were in the whole kin-based society thing at this point. John Drummond, the son of the Earl of Perth, and the and also another Drummond, the Master of Matterty. I don't... The way it said it was confusing whether they would be the same person, but it might be just two different Drummonds sign, uh, signing on with Montrose here. Uh, you have John MacDonald, the captain of Clan Ranald, with his men from Uist, Egg, Moidort, and Arisag. Um Now, I'll throw in here some... Prominent Highland clans that this time remain alert, or uh, rather aloof from Montrose and his royalist force. Uh, John Moore MacLeod, John Moore MacLeod of Dunvegan, Donald Gorham MacDonald of Scotus. Uh, he does commit 
So uh, he raises the Glengarry McDonald's of Neudert and Glengarry on behalf of his chief. So just that, the way I said that might be a little bit confusing. John Moore MacLeod of Dunvegan refuses to join, but Donald, Mac- Donald Gorham MacDonald of Scotus raised the Glengarry McDonald's of Neudert and Glengarry on behalf of his chief. McDonald's of Glengarry join, MacLeod's of Dunvegan hold, hold out. They will later join, but not until after the time period covered by this episode. So Donald Glass MacDonald, later who becomes the chief of the Keppoch MacDonalds, he joins up with Montrose. Angus McAllen Dew, a cadet of the Glencoe MacDonalds, he joins up. The Stuarts of Appen are on board with Montrose. Some Camerons from Lochiel. Ian McNabb joins with his clan on behalf of his father. 150 Later, 150 more Stuarts of Appen join. Lachlan McLean of Duart, who held out and remained aloof earlier, commits later and comes in with his clan. Alan Du Cameron of Lochiel joins in. He also had some back and forth on this issue um, for reasons mentioned earlier. Donald McLean of Brolis, acting, acting on behalf of his brother Lachlan McLean of Duart, brought hundreds of McLeans, McNeils, and Macquarie's into the fight for the, for the Royalists. Uh, 300 grants of Frookie, 200 cavalry troopers under George, Lord Gordon, and his younger brother, Lewis. Several hundred more Gordons joined along the march toward Aberdeen and McGregor's. Now, if any of those kindreds in there or kindreds or clans that may have been septs of them or allies of them, it's possible that they took took part in a Highland charge. And I do just want to maybe... These clans didn't, and you'll notice that in the list of clans that I'm going to read off here, there's very, very Highland clans here. So just because a Highland clan, a Highland clan never took part in a Highland charge, doesn't mean they were less Highlander. It just means they didn't fight under Macola, Alistair Macola McDonald, who is likely an inventor and the chief driving force behind the Highland charge. It would be used well after his time into the Jacobite Risings, which we'll get into in future episodes. But he was kind of the one that got it going. So if you weren't fighting under him, or even on that side, the Covenanter forces, I don't see, I never saw anything about them using the Highland Charge. But let me just mention some of the clans that were fighting for the Covenanters. So the Marquis of Argyle, who would have been acknowledged as chief of all different branches of the Campbell clan, which is a big clan, and the branches have become kind of clans in their own right, but they still acknowledged. Argyle as their chief. The uh, now the, the Argyle, the Marquess's late earlier earls of Argyle, had a tradition of putting Campbell of Auchenbreck in charge of the military aspects of the clan, so training and leading in battle, and that was a practice. That was a thing. There's other clans who did similar things, uh, had had a similar practice. The Laments of Cowell. I'm not sure if they joined the Covenanters because they're so ideologically in with the Covenanter movement, movement, or if it was because they sat right in the middle of Campbell territory. But either way, they, they did do some fighting with the Covenanters, so did the McDougals of Dunolly. Fraser of Lovett, Monroe, Ross, they were all in on it. They look like they're all in on the Covenanter side. John Gordon, the 13th Earl of Sutherland. Okay, so don't get the Gordons confused. There's a different branch back in the 1500s, did a whole episode on them where it was talking about earldoms and clans that have the same name. So this is a branch of the Gordons that 
had married into and inherited the earldom of Sutherland and the leadership of the kindred known as Sutherland, or the clan Sutherland. So they are a covenanter force while the other Gordons are royalists. George Mackenzie, first Earl of Seaforth, he is in on the covenanter side. Uh, maybe because it says that uh, when John Gordon, 13th Earl of Sutherland, joins up, he's leading the men of Caithness, er, of Sutherland and Caithness. So I'm thinking about maybe the guns and Sinclairs were also as par- a part of his force, although it never said so explicitly. With George Mackenzie, the first Earl of Seaforth, joining in, he brought in McRae's, McLennan's, Macaulay's of Lewis, maybe Matheson's, because there's a strong connection between the Mackenzies and the Mathesons. It's likely that they have a common ancestor and acknowledge that kinship, even after they diverged as clans. Uh, one thing, a little note about the Macaulay's of Lewis. Keep in mind that at the, at the, uh, by this point in history, the Mackenzies have taken over Lewis from the Macleods of Lewis. And at this point, the Macleods of Lewis, one of the two major branches of Macleods, are, are not, they're not a functioning clan. They have ceased. They're out of operation. There's still people on the Isle of Lewis who are McLeods, but that's Mackenzie territory now. And so the Macaulays of Lewis, not to be confused with the Macaulays of Arden Capel, two completely and unrelated, completely different and unrelated kindreds. Macaulays of Lewis join up with Mackenzie here. Um, some Macintoshes may have been uh, in on the Covenanter forces. Also, some leading kindreds of Murray to include the Innes, Dunbar, Cumming, and the Rose of Kilrock clans. They were also on the Covenanter side. Probably didn't partake in the Highland charge, though. Anyway, there you have it. I Hopefully that was, um, that was educational for you. And if you, if you like that, stay, in t- stay tuned. We're going to cover more. I just didn't des- decided the whole scope of the, all the years that the Highland charge may have been used. Was too big for one episode. And this was actually a long episode in and of itself. The next one will probably be shorter, but we're going to continue on this timeline. We're going to look at other engagements where the Highland Charge is used and which clans may have partaken in it. It was, it was a fearsome tactic. It was used with devastating effect in the various battles that we mentioned here. It wasn't used in every single engagement, but when it was used, it was, it was a holy terror to be on the other side of this. And I mean often turned into a slaughter of the forces as they broke in front of this charge and ran and just got cut down as they ran away. And so there, there now you have maybe some idea of who used it. If you have any questions, further insights, comments, anything you want me to include, shout outs, whatever in the next episode, reach out to me. You can get me at thescottishclans at gmail.com. If you could do me a favor, and share this with people who you think would be interested in this. I know that you know people who have a Scottish last name, are super interested in their ancestry, or maybe they're just history fans. So reach out, bring them into this really colorful history that is the history of the Scottish clans. It's so fun to learn about, and it's fun to share with you. Thank you for listening. Marsh and Leib and Drastic.